stay there. You know what? I believe that every single person on this planet can make a difference. And I believe that we all have something to offer, something that's so unique that it will change somebody else's life. I believe we all deserve to step into our true selves. And I believe that every single person needs to feel great about themselves. I want you to step into who you truly are and I want you to make a difference for somebody else and for yourself. And I don't think it's that hard. It's a matter of putting one step in front of the other and just taking action. And I'm interviewing guests that have done just that. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where you can make that decision to make your life count. It all starts with you saying yes. Howdy and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. I have been thinking a lot about Hurricane Ian and um, last year I had a guy, George Siegel, on my podcast and George is the uh, the creator, he's a filmmaker and his one of his films is called The Last House Standing and it was about a house that was left standing on Um, Mexico Beach after all the others were decimated after a hurricane. George lives in Tampa, which is very close to, well, which is where the hurricane was heading. And I thought it would be really good to get George on and and just, just have a local's perspective on this and particularly the fact that he's so focused on building codes and what we could do better. In fact, he's got a podcast. He's the host of the podcast, Tell Us How to Do It Better. I thought it might be really interesting to have a chat with George about how things don't change. People know that they're living in an area that um, could get decimated by a hurricane. Uh, he talks about hope being their best strategy, and which isn't a great strategy. Not everybody, but some. And, you know, I thought this would be a really good topic to explore. So and we, with, the, with the thought in mind um, of really considering and caring about the people that have been uh, deeply impacted by the hurricane. So let's get into it and have a chat with George. Welcome, George. Hey, Karen. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, it's my pleasure. We've had you on before. We actually, it was 11 months ago, and we were um, talking about your two films back then, um, Licensed to Parent and Last House Standing. And what a fantastic interview. Like That was fantastic. And normally I don't get two people back on twice, but I'll tell you what, this Hurricane Ian, when we talked about Last House Standing, the whole premise of that was that one house was left standing on Mexico Beach um, after a hurricane went through and you and I had a very in-depth conversation about um, what it takes to build a solid house or, or housing building regulations and all that kind of stuff. As we know, though, um, uh, Hurricane Ian came came through because it's guaranteed. Hurricanes are going to come through Florida and the Caribbean, we call it. You call it Caribbean. And um, you live in Tampa. It was headed straight for Tampa. And I reckon you dodged a bullet. What do you think? There's no question. Um, they were talking for days about how it was going to hit Tampa directly and in in what's called a doomsday scenario so if a storm comes in out of the southwest and pushes up into this area the water is really shallow so as that push of water comes in there's no place for it to go so it ends up on the land and you have an incredibly high storm surge 
The wow. in my neighborhood in South Tampa, the historical storm surge is is listed as ten feet. They were saying from this storm, as it was getting closer, it could be ten to fifteen feet. And wow. areas south of us actually had fifteen feet. So in all the in my film, we interviewed people from Tampa. We talked about the Hurricane Phoenix scenario where they studied how bad it would be here. And that is exactly what was headed our way. So I started diet, um, I started making uh, videos about getting ready and all this stuff, how we were going to handle it, how we we're going to ride it out. And then the storm turned and it went, came in on shore about two hours south of here in an area that we vacation at every year, Sanibel Island. We go to Naples a lot, two of the most in incredible areas that, that I've ever been to. And to give you an idea of what the difference is, this, this sums it up. My day today, I woke up this morning, went and played pickleball, went and bought some plants, repotted them in front of my house. If the storm had hit here, I might not even have a house that's standing. I might be dealing with insurance companies. I might be dealing with where's my family going to live. So a slight swing of the pendulum means the difference between going on with your life or rebuilding your life. Wow. And I've seen I've seen pictures and videos of Sanibel Island and it's just decimated. And also the bridge was taken out. And, and down at for those who don't know, down the Florida Keys, you know, it's just a series of bridges all the way down joining all these islands together. And and and, and here you've got a, a bridge completely taken out. And so all those people were completely stranded and I mean I know there were rescue efforts but you can't rescue people in the middle of a hurricane you know and I don't I, don't, I can't even imagine it to be honest I think that it's we we've just had floods here all, all of Victoria where I live is it's just been decimated by floods and we were the only area for once <laughs> and I'm not laughing about this but we it's usually us we're the area that usually cops all that but it's where there's eight to ten foot you know um waters all around the place and what do you do with water like if the, we have fires as well and fires fires just wipe you out and that's all there is to it water damages gets into everything and then you've got the filth of you know um the sanitation problems you've got you know human waste and animal waste all floating in this water it's coming through your house i like i don't know tell me more i don't know what do we want to talk about because well I can give you an example. When I lived in Detroit, Michigan years ago, um, we have what's known as sump pumps in our basements there, and that keeps water from getting into your basement. Well, the power went out, the sump pump stopped working, and we got about a foot of water in our basement. That cost us about $20,000 in repairs. You have wow. to replace the drywall halfway up the wall. We had carpeting down there. A lot of our valuables that we were storing, we stupidly stored in the basement. And that was just from the power going out with a sump pump. Now imagine the ocean rushing into your neighborhood. The water is now contaminated with debris, sadly, uh, dead bodies, dead fish, de all kinds of dead wildlife, refrigerators, cars, uh, batteries that are corroded. The water down there is supposed to be really bad. And, and this area was what I consider paradise. I mean, I was hoping to live down in that area in a few years when my kids graduated. I just think it's incredible. And it's so heartbreaking to see a paradise destroyed. And, and this is what kind of throws me off um, as a filmmaker with, with The Last House Standing is 
I don't know what they could have done about the storm surge. I'm waiting to hear how the experts analyze all this. Some mm-hmm. houses survived. Newer houses had a better chance of surviving. But I think they all got some water in them. Because if you take 15 feet of water blowing in off the ocean, mm-hmm. there's waves on top of the 15 feet. I think water got into a lot of things there. And we'll know the stories as they come out. You know, we're still hearing things from Mexico Beach, and it's been several years. Um, so that's what's going to be interesting to see what survived, what didn't, what could we have done differently? Because it just made me personally throw up my arms and go, wow, maybe there's nothing I can do. Maybe this is all a crapshoot of luck. You hope it doesn't happen. So you have insurance, you have a plan for what you would do if the disaster hit. And it's a plan that you made before the disaster was headed your way. You make it on a sunny day when there's nothing going on. Um, so that's what kind of thrown me off. You know, I, I love Florida. This is my home. But this really it, this really stunned me. Maybe it's to the degree of the hurricane, you know, this because this one's the worst, I think, what in 100 years or something like that. I, I can't remember what I read, but I it's, don't know. Maybe all things. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Karen. But, but I think all things being equal, there are certain aspects of it that were worse. Um, and, and maybe when damage is totaled up, totaled up, it'll be worse. But you remember the Hurricane Michael in my film was a Category 5. This was only a Category 4, but it's oh. such a little small difference in the winds. And mm. the direction that it was coming in and the storm surge just was the worst possible scenario for that area. If you drew up a plan and said, this is the worst thing that could happen to you guys, that's what happened. So when you're saying um, southwest, you know, but it's coming in on that angle, I saw a map on, um, you know, I Googled it all because, you know, I've got quite a few of you friends that live in Tampa and and I was kind of, I was watching it and looking at the map and there was a map of all of the past hurricanes, you know, it was like hurricane paths, you know, of all these ones that have come up from Cuba and all that. And they all seem to come from the southwest, like, or or was I just looking at a map that was just specifically showing southwest? Okay, so it, the path is coming straight up the coast of Florida, and then it turned to go inland. So it's going south oh. to north, and then it turns, and it's that push of water as it turns in the winds with the eye of the in the in the center of the storm. Um, that drove all that water in there. So that's what they were looking at for Tampa. It was supposed to go, you know, a couple hundred miles north of there. I think it's probably less than a couple hundred miles. And that was supposed to happen here. And so we got a glimpse of our future. We There's never going to be a better blueprint that Tampa can study of how bad it can be here. And, and to give you an idea, they updated the statistics that we had in the film. And they said that if a Category 5 hurricane hit Tampa from that direction, 70% of the buildings in uh, St. Petersburg, the office buildings, would be destroyed. 60% in Tampa, $400 billion worth of damage. I mean, this place would be shut down. And, and there's bridges everywhere here. Yeah. There's bridges from here to St. Pete that connect things. There's a bridge to an island where one of our biggest hospitals is right up the street from us, you know, 10 minutes away. Why they put a hospital on an island in a bay with a bridge is just mind boggling to me. Um, but it just I think it exposed a lot of things and it'll be interesting to see how people react and what they do. I don't I don't know how much they can do other than tighten the bolts on everything and 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 make sure your home is as resilient as possible. But I think some people have uh, uh, Brock Long, the, the FEMA, former FEMA director, said hurricane amnesia. You know, the storm misses you. It's like you're driving down the street and you almost get in a car accident and you have that your heart's racing. You go, God, I'm never going to look at my phone again while I'm driving. And then two blocks later, you're looking at your phone again. 
Yeah. I think that's yep. what's going to happen with a lot of people. Wow. And and we're recording this at the in late November, late October, and I'm I'm going to be putting this up the week it comes up in two weeks' time. I'm going to be in Tampa, and so you know. I, oh, I'm nice. Have, I hope you'll yeah, look me up. I know we should do that. I'm going to be having a. I'm going to be. I went over there um, a few years ago, and you know, I'm, it's the same thing as what you're talking about. You just you take it for granted. You look at it, you know. As it was coming into Tampa, and I was worried about it. I was thinking. Isn't it funny? A few years ago, I was standing there and I just took it all for granted, you know, and St. Petersburg, you know, we're driving around and, you know, and, and really just enjoying everything. And I was imagining, wow, that might not have been there. And then I think I was thinking as it was coming in, this might not be there. When I go there, is there even going to be a place to go? Do You, you know, so I'm going to look at it in an inc- a very, very different light, in a much more grateful light. But yes, we will. We will. I will look you up. What about Fort Myers, like just down south a little bit more? That was completely decimated too, wasn't it? Yeah, Fort Myers is right next to Sanibel. It, it's it's all in the same area. And and Fort Myers Beach had it really bad. Fort Myers had a lot of damage as as well. And that's a really a pretty little city, you know, right by the water. You kind of have to drive through there on your way to Sanibel. And we stopped there a few times and had lunch and walked around and seen the boats and everything. And and it just really is a spectacular place where people go and retire. And and in, in my last podcast, I, I had Brock Long on um, uh, and he was talking about a lot of interesting things about a lot of people move down to Florida and they retire. And so they buy a house and they go, well, I, I just I don't need to keep an insurance policy on it. I can save money. And that's their nest egg. That's everything they have. And when it gets destroyed, he said, the most you're going to get out of FEMA, and I think that's a loan if they give you anything, is $30,000 if you if, wow. if you get the cut the line and get that. So people can literally get wiped out. And he said most people, there's a book that he had seen or a statistic that most people who lose their house in a situation like that, it's something they never recover from if they don't have insurance. It's a life-altering uh, thing. So I think a lot of people, we're going to hear a lot of sad stories over the next you know, coming years. Um, I haven't even got an accurate tally of how many people lost their lives. Uh, yeah. Storm surge is one of the biggest killers in hurricanes. You know, that a lot of people die afterwards from generators and trying to go someplace and, and, and have an accident. But storm surge is a killer. And one of the things Brock said is we don't hear a lot of stories about storm surge because people don't live to tell about it. Well, there okay. are some people that lived this time to tell about it. And we're going to hear some stories of just how horrible it was that they stuck it out and, and tried to to ride out the storm. It's when you're talking about um, that they lose their house and they lose everything, you know, that that life altering, it's, it's life devastating because it's the stress that comes with that causes cancer, you know, it causes heart attacks, it causes strokes, Do you, you know, like it's not just the living with the um, I don't have a home and that's that's disastrous in itself. It's the health impacts as well that come in. Your life's never the same. And I saw I saw a picture of a, well, I'll say the property of a multi-million dollar mansion on the beach and all that was left was the pool. So the pool the pool was, you know, good enough to hold, but the whole, so when you're talking about building you know, a nest egg or like building a house as a nest egg and, and this multi-million dollar house on the beach, people probably, I don't understand that. And I'm not going to criticise other people's lifestyles, but if you're going to spend multi-million dollars to build a house that could be blown down, I don't get the point of that. I'd rather spend 
500,000 and build a house with good good solid foundations that won't blow down. I, I don't know. Well, you hope somebody that builds a house like that at least has the wealth to afford a disaster like that. But I've interviewed wealthy people who lost their homes in in disasters and they're still incredibly affected by it. It's not just because you have more doesn't mean it's it's not a horrible loss for you. Yeah. But it is tragic the people that have very little and lose and then have to take out loans because you still have to pay off the mortgage of your existing house. So the path to recovery might be a little better for wealthy people. Maybe it's a lot better, but it's tragic for everybody. And and yeah, you have to wonder that. Maybe we're building in places where we shouldn't be living. Maybe we're making choices. Um, you know, one of the things Brock said to me was, George, maybe you should evaluate reevaluate living in Tampa. You know, maybe the cost of living in paradise is too high. Yeah. And that did get me thinking. Unfortunately, there's no place else I would rather live than here. But it mm -hmm. certainly has me thinking, is, the, is this smart? Am I, am I risking everything? Do I want to be go spending 10 years rebuilding my life because the entire community is wiped out? Those are conversations people should be having. I can tell you, I would bet everything I have that it's not going to change anything. Mm. Um, the, the climate change people are just going to point and go, look what happens. Climate change, climate change, climate change. And, and, and I think that's, it's an important conversation to have. It's not the right time to have it. I don't think it's going to, it wouldn't have stopped this. Mm. It's not going to stop the ones for the next five or 10 years. If we all started driving electric cars tomorrow, we're still going to have hurricanes and the cars are still going to blow up or catch fire when they get salt water in them, which yeah. happened in a few occasions. They think that's how one of the houses burned down. So a lot of things have to happen after this, but what's going to change? You know, what, how are people going to do something different to see this? If you could view this and see what we dodged and do nothing different going forward, you truly are just saying, you know what, what happens, happens. I'm going to live my life and whatever happens, happens. I, I don't know that I'm I'm that person. That's really hard. That's a, it's a fine line, isn't it, between the two types of thought processes. You know, one, I'm just going to, I can't, I'm just, I'm just going to enjoy my life and just let the stress go and just see what happens. But then there's the, which is, great and and like a bit more stress-free but in a way avoiding you know avoiding the truth and then there's the other one going well hang on a minute I don't want this to happen again so I'm going to put all of this in place which is quite stressful but it could keep you safe so I can see that under a stressful situation which is like now people are kind of just going one or the other throwing my hands up in the air and saying well you know what? I can't do anything about it I can't live the rest of my life stressed and then there's going to be the other part side that are just absolutely scrambling. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? With, with well, your... Here's the thing. If, if you said you were going to just, I'm leaving, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Then you have to say, where would I go? Yeah. And then you pick yeah. another place. And then you have to think about the disasters that could happen in that place. There's no place. You said you have flooding where you are. There's yeah. no place that's disaster free. There are some that are less likely to have yeah. disasters. Um, the, there's a statistic that says, if you live where it rains, uh, your house can flood. You might not be anywhere near a flood zone, yep. but you could have flooding. You could have earthquakes in areas, tornadoes, ice storms, heat waves, wildfires. There are so many things that kill people that you can't just live scared. But if you have a house a mile from the beach and you saw what happened down in Fort Myers and you go, wow, that person was eight miles in. They lived on a canal and they had 15 feet of water in their house. They better get your attention. And you you need to do something. You know, maybe you couldn't stop that water, 
In that case, you wanted to make sure that your possessions were, you, you got the most valuable things out of there and you don't stay next time there's a storm. You make sure you get out of there. So if you're going to gamble, have a better plan to at least save your life as a last resort. But where do you go? If, if you know a... Um... If you know a hurricane's coming up to Florida up the coast and and it was going to Tampa and then it suddenly turned and went to Fort Myers and Sanibel Island, what do you do? Like, like this is a real dilemma, isn't it? Do you, when is it too late to go and where do you go anyway? Because you're gambling, you could be running, jumping from the fry pan into the fire. It's hard, isn't it? You can't. it is. You can't wait too long. The people that wait till the till, till the end are the ones now there's no gas along the way because everybody's already gone or they're sitting in traffic. I know people that evacuated to Orlando and it took them six or seven hours, as much as eight hours to get there. That's about an hour and 15 minutes away from Tampa. Mm-hmm. Um, some people evacuated to Fort Myers because they thought it was going to go north of there. And then it's like, whoa, now it's coming here. When you live on a peninsula, those are the risks you take. And really, the only safe places to evacuate, you might probably want to get up into Alabama or or the mountains of Georgia or Tennessee, uh, head over to Texas. I mean, there's a lot of places you can go. But what we did is we stayed and we said, we're going to ride it out. You know, I, I was joking to a few people, said, I'm going to go down with the ship. Well, now I see maybe I would have, you know, I, I like to think our house would have held up, but it would have had water in it. Mm. And we would be living in absolute chaos right now with with. You know, your neighbors wiped out all your the people, you know, all of a sudden have to deal with all this stuff. Um, that's not a very fun life. No, no. And I, no, it's not. And even with evacuating, I was just thinking you saying go to Texas, go to Alabama, go to Georgia, you know, that sort of stuff. But even so, it, the, the, the airports would be absolutely jammed up. The roads would be jammed up. You, you're in a stressful situation. You, you can't think straight. You can't plan when you're under stress, you, you know, so what? I just, I just think, um, I don't know. I think it's you know, fight, flight, and freeze. It's almost freeze. Do you know? It's, it's kind of like I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to do nothing. I'm just going to buddy cross my yes. fingers and pray my cross and just buddy hope, hope, hope for the best. Hope I survive. That's not. Well, I used to do a lot of live. I used to do a lot of live television, and and I'd be out in storms, and I'd have to think on my feet because you have to talk, you have to tell people what to do. And, and your mind has to be working all the time. Now that I, I don't do that anymore, I found at the most crucial times, I'm just sitting there paralyzed, looking at the television going, oh, this is not good. Mm. The time to make your plan of what you're going to do is, is now because there's no storm. Maybe hurricane season might be over here, knock on wood, because we're getting some cold fronts moving through here and it, it could change the weather pattern, but it's still possible through November. Um, but this is the time during the winter in late fall, winter to go, okay, now I'm going to make a plan and this is what I'm going to do. If I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave three days early and not wait till the 24-hour evacuation notice. The downside of that is, and it's happened to me in, when I lived in Texas, when I was on television, uh, talking, telling people what to do, the, the risk is you tell people to evacuate and they evacuate for nothing because nothing happens. The next time you tell them, you're like the little boy who cried wolf. Yeah. They're, they're looking at you going, you're an idiot. You're wrong. I'm staying. These guys, people always joke, the weatherman's always wrong. Um, so that's the thing. The, the bottom line is people need to take evacuations seriously. Mm-hmm. And if the worst thing that happens to you is you evacuated and you didn't have to, consider yourself lucky. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
When you said it, it went an eight-mile surge into the peninsula, like uh, would have gone east across the um, peninsula, did did they did they expect that it was going to go that far? Even though they knew that this was a worst-case scenario coming, did they did they expect that it would go that far? I don't have actual statistics on on where it went. What happened was I posted on my website um, about my interview with with Brock Long, and so people were commenting about their situations. And one woman said her daughter lived on a canal that was eight miles inland and her house got all that water. So if there's a surge of water and it's pushing inland, those canals and tributaries, rivers, whatever, the, it, the water is gonna all get pushed that way. And you know there was some flooding in this area and we got very little from the storm. We had some wind damage here in Tampa, but we didn't get a lot of rain. You know, Maybe in my, in my part of South Tampa, maybe a couple inches. Mm. Um, other places got 18 or 20 inches. You know, there are days when we have just a rainstorm where it rains two or three inches here in South Tampa and there's flooding yeah. because the streets back up. So if you had yeah. put 20 inches of water here combined with a storm surge, I think it would have been an incredibly big problem. Mm. Yeah. So when you're saying um, now, you know, you're you're debating, um, what do I do about it? You know, where do I go with this? You're a filmmaker and you've done the last last house standing. Are you going to have you got thoughts about who am I going to interview? What what angle am I going to take? Is there anything I can do? Like, What, what are your thoughts about moving forward with filmmaking on, on this subject? Well, I think I definitely want to make another film about this. You know, you want to give people time to the last thing they need to do is have a filmmaker trolling around down there. Um, And uh, it's pretty rough conditions down there. But there is a story to be told. And and for me, what interests me as a filmmaker, we can turn on the news and see all the bad things that happen. I want to know what made it. I want to know what we can do going forward that improves our chances of having that not not happen to us. So. Those are the things I think are important for everybody else. But you also hope that it was a wake-up call because it's so close to here. It's th- that was the blueprint. That was that was the hey, uh, take one. Let's see what it would do to the west coast of Florida. We saw it. So yeah. is anything going to change in Tampa? I look forward to interviewing people here, officials here, and seeing what they think. What they had to be watching that and going, oh my god, we would have just been destroyed here. And yeah. and that's the feeling that you want people to 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 build on and say, OK, what can we do about it? You know, you, you can't build dunes 20 feet high and block the entire coast. Although if we really cared, you know, if you think 400 billion dollars damage, yeah. maybe there's a billion dollar cure that could make it less. I don't yeah. know. Well, like the um, Dutch did with the dikes, you know, they they saw the problem and fe- well I, I think they did that's that's what history says whether or whether it's still the case or not but they built dikes to you know f- exactly for that reason to stop their cities flooding so maybe except it wouldn't be this is the problem isn't it because you go down to florida and you go on that um that west coast there and the whole draw card is that it's open to the ocean you know and it's absolutely beautiful you start building big bloody walls and suddenly it becomes a prison you know and not it is a catch-22 isn't it do do i want to live in a prison safely or do i want to enjoy what nature brings and take the take the risk it's um it's a hard thing. And your 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 podcast, while I'm at it, when you're talking about I want to talk to people about how to do it, your podcast is make it better. You know, tell us how to make it better. So I, I like the fact that you're um going to ask those questions. I don't know that you 
Yeah. How, how hopeful are you that you're going to get all the answers? You know, if well, you get some. people talking about it, you hope somebody's smart enough to have the answers. Um, you know, you couldn't put just a big canal lock out there, though, you would think, because you, there's a big opening at Tampa Bay where the Skyway Bridge is. But then there's openings other places and yeah. all along the coast of St. Pete. It's all it's, it's all sea level so yes. that you really couldn't keep all that water out. And when you talk about, you know, you don't want to turn it into a prison. Statistically, prisons are safer than most people's houses. Yeah, um, you're, it, it, we talked about that in the last house standing. Um, it, Aris Papadopoulos had this quote where he said the level category of building of a prison, I think, is a level four or three homes are two. So the higher you get the White House, I think, is a, is a five. Um, the higher you get, the safer you are. Prisons are rated safer structures than houses. So you we would have been safer in a prison. Yeah, but not much. <laughs> not much fun. That's the thing, you know. You're safe, but you, you yeah. haven't got the the life. It's it's it is a catch twenty two, and it's like um we're up here where we've got all the bushfires. You know, like all of this area was wiped out just a little bit further back than here, and people are people are still building in the same place. And and you ask them why, and they say because this is my home. This is what I love. You know, I know another bushfire can come, but this is where I love. And it is a fine line between living a life that you love and understanding there's a risk and living a life of fear, but you stay, you're safe. So I think, I don't know, as humans, I don't think we can get that right. I think it's such a juggling act to, to work out what's the most important thing to us and do we want to live our lives in fear, but then what can we put in place to make it as safe as possible so that we can still enjoy what we have? Absolutely. You, you, you don't want to be paralyzed by fear, but you also want to make smart decisions. There are some countries that when an area gets leveled by something bad, people aren't allowed to rebuild there. That area is now deemed unlivable. Or if you're going to live there, you should at least rebuild it to survive the level of storm that just wiped it out. And Mexico Beach to me is such a, a great example of that, such a beautiful little community. They were hit by category five hurricane, but when they changed the building code, they raised the wind rating for what structures had to be from 130 to 140 miles an hour. Well, again, they were hit by a category five hurricane with storm surge. So if that same storm hit them again, the standard they rebuilt to conceivably wouldn't be enough to save them. And so, I think we have to analyze what the choices everybody makes. I don't want the government telling me where I can live. But then when my house is destroyed, I shouldn't be able to run to them and say, save me. Mm. You know, that to me is the dilemma. It's like, I want to do what I want. But if it doesn't work out, I know you're going to come uh, cover my ass. Yeah. That's where it gets a little dicey. Yeah. And, and what would it cost like to build a ha house that would withstand that? How much extra would that be? Like, like a, a house that's not and a house that is, what's the difference in building costs? I've heard maybe 25% more, but the, the cost that nobody really gives you is they calculate what your life is like if that house gets destroyed. Yeah. So if I was building a million dollar house and you said to me, okay, but it's going to cost you a million two hundred and fifty thousand for that house to survive. Now go back to that million dollar house and say, okay, what happens when my house is destroyed? Where am I displaced for living? What is my kids going to go to school? Where are we going to put all, our, all the stuff that's lost and damaged? All the years we're going to spend rebuilding our lives 
all of a sudden $250,000 is a pretty good deal. Yeah. So that's what I think needs to be calculated. I think builders, if I had to pick a villain in my story, I blame the construction industry. And, and when I've talked to people in the construction industry, they, they say, well, we, we can't do all that stuff to a house because nobody will pay for it. Well, that's the same how airbags were in cars. You know, the auto industry didn't want to do it. They were told they had to do it. Yeah. And now they do it and it's it's accepted. So why are we not building safe houses? I just don't understand it. And not only do we not build safe houses, there's a lot of crappy builders out there that build houses that are garbage. Mm. And there's great builders. There's builders that probably build houses that are fortresses or beautiful houses. But there's so many that don't. Can you imagine if they were in any other field and you could have have such a expensive purchase that's so easily obliterated mm. and you get to call it a business and keep making money at it? I just yeah. I think that's just mind boggling. Yeah, that stinks. And I don't think 25% is much. Like I don't I as much as nobody wants to pay it. Nobody wants to pay any more than they have to pay for anything. But if it's going to save your life and it's going to save you all that stress, I think 25% is actually a small cost to pay. But then how do you know which builders, like, do, is there anything that, um, so let's say you get a house built and the builder says, and it's a dodgy builder, and they say, yeah, yeah, we've uh, done it to Category 5 rating and then it blows down. I mean, how does over there, and I don't even know how it works in Australia, but in America, how does it what chance has a person got of recouping their money from that dodgy builder if the house blows down? Well, what the dodgy builder will do is go back, file bankruptcy and open their business the next week with a different name. And uh, wow. it's not regulated enough. The builders have an, a lobbying industry that works to keep building codes as low as possible. You know, building codes should be as high as possible. Yeah, yeah. Why are we allowing people to build it? When they changed the building code in Moore, Oklahoma, after eight tornadoes, you know, four major tornadoes, which we talked about in the last house standing, it actually saved a lot of structures when they had tornadoes going forward because they did things that made a difference and made those houses safer. That should be the standard. And if somebody's going to build, okay, how do we make them do it? Maybe things like Zillow, Realtor.com, all those websites have to reward good building. If a house has a five-star building rating, it should be worth more than the track home next to it that did it to the minimum mm. you know that's that that to me is is an absolute no-brainer and you know one of the things brock long said he goes we should be building to a code that doesn't exist yet yeah. code should be forward thinking yeah look at yeah. what just happened now let's change the code i don't care if it cripples the industry short term if it saves lives we can't keep having hundreds of billions of dollars in disasters year after year um, it, it's just the whole system would fall apart. Why do we keep making the same mistakes again? So you're hitting your thumb with a hammer. You got, ah, I'm going to keep doing this. Doesn't hurt enough yet. It just doesn't hurt enough yet. This one should get people's attention, but you, so should the last one. And so should the one before that. I mean, there's been a lot of disasters over the years and maybe things have gotten a little better, but all you have to do is look at all that damage and, and it gives you a good example of it. It's not that much better. Yeah, and I think the the thing is with politics too is that nobody wants to do that because they're only in for a short period of time, and they you know that it, it it'll take longer than that to do to change the code, and therefore they're not going to get credit for it. And it's just a bloody ridiculous little game they play. Who's that? Um, who's Brock Long? You keep talking about him. What, what's his? What does he do? He used to be the administrator of FEMA, um, so he ran FEMA for a while um, under the the Trump administration. And 
we got in to interview him in our first film and I got him on my podcast last week and he just had so many interesting things to say. I also had a guy named John Scardina and Aris Papadopoulos that are in the disaster and resilience fields. And these guys are so knowledgeable about, you know, disasters and what people should do and planning and all this stuff. So there's a lot of really smart people out there, but are they being heard and are changes being made. I mean, Brock has a lot of uh, ideas of how or, or things that we should be building better. We should, you know, we could send a, a a rocket up to deflect an asteroid seven million miles away. We yeah. can't build a house that doesn't blow down. Yeah. You know, I think our priority is that that's an that's an important thing. But there are things we spend a lot of money on. Come on, there's more important stuff we could be doing with it. Yeah. And so, what is FEMA? I'm only I'm only trying to help the Aussies out here. <laughs> What's that? I said, what's FEMA? I'm only trying to help the Aussies out here. <laughs> well, FEMA is a government uh, organization that oversees, you know, disasters. And oh, okay. so FEMA pulls up after the disaster and helps provide certain things for people and certain services and coordinates relief efforts and all these different th or, 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 or search efforts and all the stuff after a storm. Um, so they do a lot of things, but they're also highly criticized. And it's very po political here about who's running it and who's doing what. And it's very easy. I think it's a thankless job. You come in after a disaster and you're supposed to get people bridge loans and temporary housing and help coordinate all that. There's no way that goes well, even if it goes well, because people's lives are shattered. So no, they're not gonna be happy with anything. Um, and I don't blame them. You're, that's a frustrating, horrible situation to be in that, that's gotta be just hell for those people. So FEMA has, is, is starting at the, behind the eight ball from the very beginning. But there's also things that they do that are important. They're just, you know, they're, they're, it's probably overwhelming for them, the amount of disasters. I think Brock said he had over 200 disasters in, in his time there that he had to deal with, um, including the Paradise California fire, which just destroyed an entire community. Um, so there was endless amounts of things that go wrong. So you're very rarely called out for a parade and a nice day. It's usually something bad happened. Kind of makes you wonder why people would have those jobs, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, I'm going to take a job yeah. where everybody, <laughs> everyone's angry with me. But, you know, we, we do need those people and we do need it. But, you know, I can't imagine going to work every single day and everybody's cranky with you. <laughs> it's um, a thankless job. And, yeah. you know, I, I hear all the criticism towards them. Um, you know, I was surprised we got in to interview them for our film. I, I think the only reason that we did was because we were talking about being more proactive. We had no angle to bash them. Yeah. And, you know, let, I'll let other people do that. I, I think they do have a very tough job and there's things that they do well. And then there's things that they can do better. But you could say that about anybody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So have you got any stories? Like, have you got any um, anything that's really touched your, really, like, just to get, because... As you say, you know, the storm passes, people forget about it, you know, and we see it from here. So every, you know, all around the world, when there's something going on in another country, you see the immediate 24 hours of it, you know, and then you see it, it trails off and then we forget about it. Like you said before, we move on to the next thing and then the next thing. And same with the Ukraine war. It's up there for two weeks and then suddenly we don't care about Ukraine anymore. I do. Most people do. But, you know, the news doesn't want to bloody mm -hmm. uh, think that we care anymore. So, we're not seeing um, the true impact. We just saw what the media wants us to see. What have you seen on the ground or heard on the ground that is helpful for listeners to know? 
just so we to get know a- that there's the ongoing hell continues there. You know, you you see we're on this website um, for Sanibel Island, and there's all the places that we used to go there that now you're seeing images of. So you see the supermarket that you went to, the restaurant that you'd love to go to, the nature preserve that was just incredible to drive through, the Shell Museum that was spectacular, the wild birds, uh, the, the parakeets that lived out, not wild, they were domesticated, outside this supermarket in this little this strip mall area. Um, there were these beautiful birds that a lot of them apparently died in the storm. And it's just hearing the tragedies that are starting to come out of people's businesses destroyed. And then you hear the hopeful thing about we're going to rebuild, we're going to get this back. And that's a long road to recovery in a, in a tourist area. You have to rebuild everything and then you have to get the tourists back. Now, I know that there's so many people that love that area that as soon as something's open, people are going to want to go and support them. Yeah. But the me- news media does move on. You know, the next disaster, this is in the rearview mirror and nobody's going to think about it. People probably, a lot of people probably forgot about Mexico Beach. But because Floridians know what they're going through, hopefully that keeps it going where people continue to provide support. I know we donated a bunch of things and, you know, we try to get as involved as we can in, in, in giving things. But there are people that do a lot more than we do. And they're mm-hmm. doing it on a regular basis, driving stuff down there, going down and helping them clean up. So there's a lot of heroes, first responders that you hear stories of how they went and risked their lives to save people. And and now they're working to get power back on, you know, plucking people off of roofs. There's so many stories. I mean, you know, we want to bash bad things that happen, but disasters bring out the good and the bad. You know, the the vermin that want to rip people off, that happens every time. But there's so many good people from first responders to law enforcement and all these people that firefighters that are going out there and, and making a difference. The guys that re- uh, men and women that restore power, the utility poles and those trucks that, that go out there and do all that hard work. And those people are to be applauded and hopefully um, they continue to do their job and, and, and things somewhat get back to normal there, but it's going to be a long time. Mm. I'm when I, when this goes to air, I'll be in Tampa, but the week before that, which we're not there yet, because this is pre-recorded, I'll be in Michigan in Detroit and, and in Brighton, but um, talking about, and I'm at, talking at a hero conference, which is um, Hero Roundtable, and I'm speaking about, So, to, but by the time this goes live, I'll have already done this talk, but I'm speaking about um, heroic action. And when you're saying that, you know, that there's a lot of people go to, you know, they're being heroes in a sense, you know, I'm going to come down, I'm going to give you this and I'm going to do that. And so they've got this heroic behaviour going on. And the talk I'm going to do is about that, that's impulsive behaviour, uh, impulsive heroism or accidental heroism you know, after the case. And a lot of people say they will do something in an emergency and they don't, you know. But um, my talk is about also considering planned heroism. And, and so heroes don't have to have capes and bloody masks and everything else. But when we're talking about the government changing the building codes and setting up a situation where we don't have to respond to disaster, that's planned heroism. Do you, you know where they they actually put things in place, actively take action to prevent disasters so that these accidental heroes or, or you, know, you know, don't have to, or impulsive heroes, you know, after the fact, don't have to keep showing up all the time because somebody took heroic action in the first place, you know, to prevent something happening. And, you know, and my talk's not going to change the body government, but, you know, this, this I think a lot about this is that it takes less effort, less stress, less trauma 
to do something heroically in the first place to prevent something than it does to show up in the middle of the trauma, you know, and and try to be helped because you haven't got a rational brain when you're turning up in the middle of the trauma, but you have prior to it. So it it intrigues me why we constantly wait for disaster. It it intrigues me. Oh, I agree with you 100%. And, and I don't understand why the insurance industry, the building industry, why can't all those people get together and say, okay, look, let's do this for the greater good. Yeah, We have the ability to do this better. Why don't we do it? But unfortunately, everything is so political. So one side's going to, if the other one side wants it, the other side's not going to want it just because that side wants it. Yeah, And it's sadly, we need to start electing people that don't just care about one little faction. They care about everybody and, and truly want to do something to make a difference. And I don't know that we're going to see that. I, I don't know that's going to happen anytime soon. So you have to hope for those individual acts of heroism. You know, I want to see a builder step up and say, I'm only building houses to the South Florida standard, 175 miles an hour. If yeah. it's on the water, I'm only building it. If it's elevated 15 feet with stilts going with steel going into the ground. And they have a standard and they say, if you want to build that house that's going to wash away, call Phil over there. Let him do it. That yeah. would be that would be a hero. That yeah. would be somebody that says, I want to make a difference. I'm not going to be responsible for being part of the problem. I don't know that that will ever happen, but it's, we can certainly dream about it. I think it could happen, but it, everything, it's all attached to that scarcity mindset. Because right now I'm building 100 houses a year, and if I go and tighten that up and say I'm only building these special ones, I'm, I may only get four houses a year. Therefore, you know, I'm not prepared to go backwards in my income to do that. However, what people don't say, we're, we're always such short-term thinkers because once they build that four, then another seven will go, gee, I want them. And then another 20 will go, gee, I want that. And within within five years, that business is a leader and a booming leader, you know, but it's just that scarcity mindset to, to if we could just put that aside and say, well, I care about something beyond myself. I've got enough. I just want to do beyond myself. Eventually, eventually you become a leader and you become a champion. You become well, wealthy, and whether that's financially wealthy or spiritually wealthy or whatever, you know, you you're changing the world. I don't think there's, I think there's nothing better than than stepping into that space and making a better world. I I, I wish I could teach that to everybody. You know, it's yeah. Take me to that place. I want to <laughs> go there. Sounds like a great place. Where is that? <laughs> Well, it can happen. It does happen. There are people who do it, you know, and it's um, it's such a shame that we. No, uh, anyway, uh, you and I could talk about this forever. But now you talk about your subtitle to your uh, film or last film is "Hope is not a strategy." Exactly. Uh, do you think that? Uh, do you think that hope was the strategy in this case, and now post hurricane? Do you think people are still, do you think they're still just going to go back to hope is the best strategy? I do. I, sadly, I do. Um, this is a hard place to leave. It, it does happen when a disaster hits an area. Some people just can't afford to stay there. Um, mm. Maybe the people that have means are rebuilding first, but the people that needed jobs, you know, the the, the laborers in that area, the people that were the, the waiters, the waitresses, the um, the people working in the supermarket, they've got to survive. So they have to go other places. They might have to move away. So I think we all, in, if you're living on the West Coast of Florida, I think you're living with a degree of hope. 
that you hope that hurricane is never going to hit you. And this has now happened someplace that most people have been and know about. So I, it's a it's a terrible strategy. And and that's the thing I want to I think will be interesting for a film also is was it worth it? Was it worth the risk of, of what happened in, in our last film? The people I interviewed that lost everything, I don't know that it was worth it to them. Um, it's a very difficult process to have to go through. And I don't know that anybody would ever choose that. But you kind of are making that choice when you stay and haven't done everything to make yourself as safe as possible. So mm. now your strategy is hope because you did not do the preparation. Yeah. Now, before you talked about um, climate change and people pointing fingers and everything and saying, see, that's climate change, which I agree, there's no point doing that. However, climate change is a big, a big problem and we're not addressing it quick enough. But do you think natural disasters are getting worse because of climate change? Or, or at least that that's playing a You know, you can make that argument. You can make two arguments there. One, you could look at statistics. And when I talk to experts on, on climate change that study this stuff, they all say the climate change has an effect on these things. And then you'll talk to other people and they'll say, but we're also building much more things in those dangerous areas. So naturally, we're going to have more things destroyed. So mm -hmm. again, you're having a, a simple premise of what can we do to make this better? And then you get two different arguments. Well, we have to cut down carbon emissions. We have to do all these things to, to, to stop it. Or we have to build better. Or we have to live in safer areas further from the water. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to approach that. That's not a simple answer to a question. And even if we all agree that climate change is the worst thing in the world and we have to do something about it, it's not a quick fix. No, no. You know, the best example, um, California, which I think is probably the most messed up state in in the country, um, th they talked about how everybody has to have electric cars by a certain year. I don't know if it yeah. was 2030 or whatever. Well, they had a heat wave this summer. And the first thing they did is tell, ask people to stop charging their cars. So in a, in a state where everybody has to drive to get anywhere, and if, if everybody had an electric car, nobody would go anywhere. I mean, so solutions aren't even that well thought out because yeah. they if those are the ones you're pulling the literally pulling the plug on, in a heat wave, what's the point? I, I agree. I, I don't know enough about the whole electric car thing, and I know that we've got a rule over here. It's going to be, I think it's, uh, you know, it's about ten years that they want all the um, petrol and all the gasoline cars off the road, and 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 I can see that. Yeah, that's great. But I'm still thinking, well, hang on, we're still using electricity until we transition to a different form of electricity. We're still just buggering up. Now, I'm speaking as an uneducated person. I actually haven't done my thoughts on, done done my research on this. But I also think about where we have the charging stations for, for electric cars. They're right down the back blocks in dingy, dark places that if, if a a single female, you know, in their 20s is driving an electric car. She's got to go right down to the way down to this back dock to charge her car. And then it, it's that there are so many things that are not quite right. And I think I agree with you. They've got to get when when the problem is they react and, to everything. This is one thing I've noticed with with everything in life is that there's such a reaction. We'll react to this and we'll react to that and react to this. But they haven't done the long-term thinking. Same with our freeways. They react to it being clogged up, so they build one more lane. But in 10 years' time, they've got to build another lane because they didn't think about that. Do, you know, and now there's forever yeah. roadworks on the freeways because nobody thinks ahead. 
it's 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 a really difficult situation. I don't have the answers. This isn't my this isn't my sandpit. You know, you you, you think about it far more than I do. But it's um, I I think that this is my personal opinion. I think that it's not easy. I think that there's going to be both sides of the argument everywhere, if not five to ten sides of the argument. You know, buying in on it. But my belief is if we don't work together um, and lay our arms down, you know, and, and stop fighting for what we want and start thinking about, start listening. If we start listening to what everybody wants and start listening to it with reason, with a reasonable mind and a rational mind about what everybody's putting forward, then maybe together we can come up with solutions that will be sustainable. My, you should add that to that perfect world you're creating. You I'm going to create it, George. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the that should be the working mantra of your perfect universe that you're working on. And it all sounds great. Hey, you're preaching to the choir. I'm I'm on board. Sign me up. The problem is when you do that here, people just so polarize. You know, I know I know, I know Republicans that won't even give you a second serious thought about climate change, and I know Democrats that think. If you don't solve climate change, the world's going to come to an end in five years. And the people that were screaming, there were people right after the hurricane that were blaming the governor for, you know, with the things he doesn't do for climate change for for that storm. But what they didn't say is, wow, this has been one of the lowest hurricane uh, total year we've had in years. I mean, we've had two that have effectively threatened the United States the mm -hmm. entire season. So there's there's two sides or like you say, multiple sides to every argument. There's no right answer, but we have to get reasonable people to sit down and find common ground where we can yeah. have a conversation. Unfortunately, in this country, two sides can't even sit down and, and and talk about it because they're too worried about trying to dust each other up and get their talking points and getting on the news and 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 looking like they're really tough. Meanwhile, all of us are screwed. Yeah, I think that's the same everywhere. Australia doesn't seem to be quite as bad as as America as far as politics goes. But I tell you what, there's some still some bloody jerks in there, and it's I don't think it's the government that's going to solve it. Actually, it's I think it's the the people. And I think I'm going to change the name of my podcast from Get Off the Bench to The Perfect World. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I'll listen. <laughs> oh, look, I honestly, I, you know, it makes me cross because it's it's not actually hard it's not hard to work together and yet it seems to be one of the hardest bloody things that humans struggle with it's you know if we were just decent freaking human beings and i can't everybody says they're decent everybody says yeah, i'm a good person i'm a good person if we were all bloody decent good people we'd all sit down and actually respect each other and listen to views and we'd work together with the understanding that this planet is that we've only got one, there's no planet B. We're all going to have kids. There's all going to be like generations to follow us. Why the hell can't we all have that value in common? You know, it's it's it frustrates the shit out of me, George. <laughs> I don't blame you. You know, I had a I had a podcast guest on this guy named Doug Hughes um, sometime last year, who was the guy who landed a gyrocopter on the Capitol lawn. Yeah. <laughs> um, delivering a letter to all the Congress people saying, mm -hmm. you know, we have to get big money out of politics. And, you know, some people think he's a little crazy, but a lot of what he says makes sense. You know, big money drives things in, in politics. If we could find a way, all these politicians that are allegedly doing stuff for our good, they all get in office and they all tend to leave either rich or they get really good jobs where they then get rich. 
Yeah. Um, and you could point to any of them probably on either side. You know, I saw this thing about all the money that somebody like Nancy Pelosi and her husband have made. You know, they're getting insider tips. You know, somebody's telling them. And and on the right, you could probably find just as many stories of of people that have just compounded their wealth on our dime. And so, you know, no matter what your political beliefs are, we need to have people that that care about us and, and don't care about themselves. So why do these people get rich? Maybe they have to be true public servants. They're not allowed to do a lot of the things. And that's what Doug was advocating. They're not allowed to become lobbyists. They're not allowed to become consultants yeah. for companies yeah. um, right after they leave Congress, because, you know, that's the where they're getting the, a lot of the money from. Why don't we have these rules in place? Because the people that make those rules are the people that are, yeah, exactly. are getting rich. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like asking your kids to make up the rules. Hey, kids, you decide how we're going to do stuff. Yeah. That's not going to go well. Well, they behave like kids. So, you know, I think that I think that comes back to that. You know, there was all that talk. There's a blue side and the red side. And I think we just need the purple side and just the, the just the purple, the purple gang, just bloody fix the world. But anyway, you and I can toss this up for money. I reckon we could do this for 10 years and nothing will still change. But um, anyway. That's true. Well, George, I've absolutely loved this. I, I love chatting with you. I absolutely love it. And and thank you for sharing. Like, we can talk about Hurricane Ian, but we weren't there. You were there and you're, well, close enough. And it's, um, I think it's really relevant to hear from somebody, you know, you know, in amongst that. So where can people find you to follow well, your podcast and your website and all that? Well, my podcast is called Tell Us How to Make It Better. And the website is tellushowtomakeitbetter.com. I would encourage everybody who's curious about hurricanes to listen to the Brock Long and the Aris and John Scardina podcast. I think it's 53 and 54 are the, are the two that are on there because I think you'll get a lot of great information. And there's other podcasts on there that I hope that you find interesting, including one with the the famous and talented Karen Vaughn um, <laughs> that, we, that we did last year. You were a great guest on my podcast. Um, and then my film is called The Last House Standing. If you go to thelasthousestanding.org, you can actually watch the film on there. It costs $3.99. And what I'm trying to do is is coordinate with a lot of people that have big lists, but this takes a lot of time to to make this work. Where I could say, look, let's make this film available to people. Let's encourage them to see it, and we'll give 100% of the money that we make to the people in Southwest Florida. Let's let's donate that money because the most important thing is that people see the film. You know, I'm not going to get rich on people seeing the film. I'll get rich feeling good that the film actually did what we made it for. Yeah. Um, and so that's all that I I, I want to get out of it. But for for other people, it would be great if we could do some good with it. So I'm working on that as well. But, mm -hmm. you know, nothing happens quickly. But that, they no. go to the lasthousestanding.org. Yeah. I'll put all these links in the show notes because you've got other stuff as well. But when you're talking about doing a screening and sending all the money to um, South, Southwest Florida, how how much longer are they going to be wanting donations for? I think that's an ongoing thing. I think that's going to be going on for months and years um, yeah. because people don't truly calculate all the things that need to be done. Yeah. You know, right now it's immediate things, finding people housing, finding people, people have lost clothes, they've lost, you know, all their possessions, they've lost cars. So it's really a daunting task. Mm -hmm. And And what happens is once the spotlight leaves, these people end up, you know, struggling even more. So I think anything that anybody can come up with to help them you just can't rely on government bailing people out but there's so many generous people that are donating a lot of money to help them yeah. or they're 
donating a lot of resources. And we love to see that continue and, and applaud anybody's efforts. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I hope you do get that set up because that would be really... So now you're on a wing and a promise. You're going to have to get it set up. Now you've mentioned hey, it. Hey, you, you ah! say it, then you have to mean it. If Don't say it unless you mean it. <laughs> I, I, I would start it right now. You know, how many people are on your list? We could set something up, you and me, and you just say, hey, if if a thousand of you go to watch it, we can make a five, a fourth, 4,500, whatever the m- amount is, because the place that the, the film is hosted takes their cut for hosting the film. Oh, but dude. the rest of it, we could give away. So I'll, I'll do that with anybody. I asked a lady the other day who has 25 or 30,000 people on a, a list that she could reach out to. Um, you know, hey, all you can do is try, right? I don't have anywhere near that number, so we might make about two hundred dollars. But anyway, that's that that gives food to someone for for a week. <laughs> so. Absolutely, and you know, Karen, when you get to town, you better call me. I'm going to. I'll, I'll organize okay. it before that. Yeah, we will. Awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait. And so, by the time everyone hears this, we'll have already had dinner. So, and wasn't it lovely, George? <laughs> I would, I would love it. You know, maybe I'll record it and put it in my podcast. But yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of what you do, and I would love. Uh, I, I look forward to us getting together in person. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, thank you very much for joining me, and I will catch up with you um, in a couple of weeks, which will have already been last week. And <laughs> fantastic. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Eve's George. Thanks, Karen. Okay. See ya. Well, guys, that wasn't our usual kind of conversation, but I tell you what, I really wanted to bring this to you because something that really bothers me is that, you know, we see things on the news and the news is such a such a negative thing often, but when there's a disaster like this, they give us a snippet of it. And then when there's a news story, you know, they just let it go. And I, and I think we, we're too quick to, we see things, we get shocked by it and we think, oh my God, there's four poor people. And then we forget. And then we're like on to the next thing. And I think that, you know, after we've moved on, and, and this happens to us too, you know, when we have disasters in our area, the world sees it and then they move on. But as George said, you know, the traumatic impact of the disaster lasts for a long, long time. And I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. He doesn't know what the answer is, but um, I, I do believe in a perfect world and I do believe, well, maybe not. I know it can't exist, but I believe in working towards it. And and I do not understand why people can't bloody work together, put their heads together and come up with a common solution that is for the better of the world. I just don't, I just don't understand that. I know I'm probably going to, you know, leave this world still with that question, but it doesn't make sense to me at all that we can't bloody help each other and support each other. But anyway, I hope that was um, interesting for you. If I do only have a small list, you know, it's only a few hundred, I would imagine. But And I don't know how many people listen to this either, but if you wanted to do a screening or if you wanted to watch it and donate that money, you know, $3.99 is nothing. That's in US dollars. So I don't know, $5.50 or something in Australia and watch that film and, and help the money go down to the people of South Florida. I think that would be fantastic. And I don't know whether I can arrange a screening or something. I don't know. But anyway, it's food for thought. But I, I hope that you got a lot out of it. I hope that it's really been thought provoking. And I'd also hope that it might be a prompt to continue to think about people after the fact and and to not take life for granted so much and sort of be polarized or or isolated or siloed in our own little you know world that doesn't have issues at the moment because I, and it doesn't mean we live in fear and it doesn't mean we live in a world where we're constantly stressed about everything that's going on but 
instead of common decency, you know, just continuing to care about the people around the world that are impacted. And that also goes for the Ukraine people as well. You know, we we do tend to just forget. And if there's anything that I can influence people to do is to just consider, keep keep thinking, keep caring, at least about people in the world that are suffering. Thank you very much for joining me again each week. And thank you for sitting through this and um, listening to it, even though it might have been tough. But I, I think it's very thought provoking. So thank you. And I will see you next week. See ya. Thanks for joining me. As always, I hope this episode inspired you. If you know somebody who's taken courageous action to create something that's making a difference for other people, let me know about it. Go to my website, karenvaughan.com. Tinker around there, have a bit of a look and send me a message. I can't wait to hear from you. And remember, you're worth it. Your unique talents and gifts need to be out in this world. And I'm so passionate about inspiring you to achieve that. So you've listened to this episode. Just say yes, make the decision and put one foot in front of the other. See you next week.